0: You know, in rabbinic literature, Joseph is referred to as Yosef HaTzadik, Joseph the righteous person. And yet when you look at the story unfolding between Joseph and his brothers, yeah, he was the victim of a great abuse, I would say, by his brothers thrown into a pit, sold down into slavery. But if you look at this week's Torah reading, it looks as though Yosef is just being vindictive and vengeful. Right, let's go through the story. Yosef gets thrown into a pit, he's sold down to Egypt. He works for Potiphar, gets made sexual advances by Potiphar's wife, finds himself in jail, gets fetched out of jail to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, and comes up with this great plan to save ancient Egypt from famine. He's placed in charge of the food distribution and who comes before him, none other than the same brothers who over two decades before threw him into a pit and had him sold down as a slave. Now, Joseph, you can understand, on a perfectly human level, should be terribly upset at his brothers. Maybe he's never gotten over this. But he seems to be putting the brothers through what looks like a vindictive, vengeful kind of experience. What happens? He tells the brothers that they're spies. And to prove that they're not spies, he says, go bring back this young Benjamin that you say is with your elderly father Jacob back in in Canaan, back in Israel. I want to verify that you're not spies. Bring back Benjamin. And they have to pry Benjamin loose from their aged father, Jacob, who does not want to send him. He's already lost his beloved, Joseph. Now Shimon, one of the other brothers, is taken hostage in jail. And now they have to bring, he has to let Benjamin go. So they finally let him go. And he comes down to Egypt. And he meets his youngest brother for the first time and plants a goblet in his knapsack accuse them of theft and spying why is Yosef doing this he looks vindictive he looks like a kid trying to get back at his brothers for beating up on him and not only that my second question is and always bothered me why didn't joseph phone home in all of this time he's been gone from his brother, from his father for 20 years his father thinks he's dead why didn't he send a message back to israel dad i'm still alive I'm a big shot here in Egypt. Why didn't he tell Yaakov he was still alive? So I want to share two approaches to answer both of these questions, to demonstrate that Joseph was not uh, a kid anymore, that he wasn't being vindictive, and he had a very good reason for not telling his father, Jacob, that he was still alive. And the first approach is taken up by the great Rabbi Samson, Raphael Hirsch, who said that in order to reconcile himself with his brothers and keep the family peace, he needed to give the brothers an opportunity to do what's called tshuva, repentance. Yosef was interested in trying to sort of make peace with what happened, this trauma, in his early childhood. He was 17 years old. It's 20-something years later. The brothers don't recognize it, but he recognizes them. So according to Hirsch and some of the other commentators, what Joseph needs to do is put his brothers in the same situation that they found themselves in 20 years earlier when they threw him into a pit and see whether or not they stand up for the next Joseph. Who's the next Joseph? That's Benjamin. see, the whole fight between the brothers could be boiled down to a mother from another brother. A brother from another mother. A brother from another mother, excuse me. Jacob was married to both Leah and Rachel, and also there were Bilhah and Zilpah, the two handmaids, and they had all of these children. And basically there was a a rift between the the children of Rachel and the children of Leah. And the children of Leah basically threw the son of Rachel, that was Joseph, into the pit. And now what Joseph has to do is concoct a new situation where that same scenario can be reenacted to see whether or not the brothers had changed. You see, there's no obligation to forgive somebody in Judaism unless you believe that the person who offended or wronged you was, is repentant. So how does he figure this out? He creates this scenario. And I want to quote from the great Rambam, the great Maimonides, who said that in order to achieve what's called tshuva gemura, which means complete repentance, you have to be in the same exact scenario as you were before and not mess up the second time. So he creates the same exact scenario so that he can determine whether the brothers have repented, whether the brothers feel badly. And when he sees that the brothers stand up for Benjamin and they say, we cannot let Benjamin be taken by you. And in this week's coming parsha, we're going to see that Judah stands up to Joseph. He doesn't know he's Joseph. He thinks he's just the number two guy in Egypt. And he boldly stands up to him and says, Anochi arevenu. I am a guarantor for him. I promised our father Jacob back in Canaan that I would be responsible for him. That's when Joseph in next week's Parsha breaks down, when he sees the brothers are looking out for another another brother from another mother, like they didn't look out for him. See, Benjamin is Joseph just a couple of years later. And that's what allows him to do this. And that's why Joseph is not trying to get back at the brothers. Oh, you know, I'm in this position of power, and you're now coming before me. No, he's trying to figure out whether or not he can forgive them. And here's the other reason why he does this. He cannot tell Jacob that he's alive all these years. Why? Because what would have happened? Play it out for a minute. If Joseph had sent word back to Canaan that he was still alive, what would happen? he would have to explain the circumstances of his disappearance and why he's still alive today. It would expose what, the terrible thing that the brothers did. And therefore, as Rev Hirsch says, very, very powerful, it was necessary, number one, to test his brothers, to see whether they would again be capable of depriving their father of a son, and this time for real and compelling reasons. And what would have happened also if he had told his father that he was still alive? His father, but what do you mean? Your brothers said that you were ripped apart. No, that's not exactly what happened, Dad. You see, they they threw me in a pit, and they sold me down as a slave. And what would that have done to the family fabric? It would have reconnected and reunited Jacob with his beloved Joseph, but it would rip the family apart. And what Joseph was trying to do was take the high road. Joseph was not only trying to learn to forgive his brothers by seeing whether or not they have repented. And they'll do better with Benjamin than they did with him. But to see whether or not he could repair the rift in the family, he ultimately wanted to create Sholem Bayis, peace in the home. And in order to do that, he had to not tell his father, Jacob, what happened. Now, that's one approach. That's the approach of Rev Hirsch and some of the other commentators. But I want to leave you with one other approach, and that is Nachmanides. The Ramban says that he schemed all of these things, and he created this whole scenario and accused the brothers of being spies and planted the goblet in Benjamin's sack. Why? To bring Benjamin along and to affect the realization of the first dream. Joseph was a dreamer. And you know when a dreamer, when a prophet has a dream, it's not like me and you have a dream. Now, Talmud says that even when you and I have dreams, it's a little element of prophecy. But how does God communicate his will, to to prophets through dreams. So Joseph understood that when he had that dream that, that 11 people would be bowing down to him, he needed to realize that dream. And therefore he had to concoct this whole situation to not only get the brothers to come before him and bow, but his own father, Jacob, because he was in the dream. And that's the job of a prophet, and that was Joseph's job, was to bring about the realization in the physical world of the dreams of God, of what God wanted there to be in the physical world. So it's interesting. The Torah never says that Joseph remembered what his brothers did to him. All the Torah says is Joseph remembered the dreams he dreamt. So it's not like he's being vindictive against the brothers. I'll never forget how you threw me in that pit. I'm going to, I'm going to put you, I'm going to accuse you of being spies and plant a goblet in your sack. No, he was thinking about the dreams. And from here, the Ramban, Nachman, and other rabbis suggest that Joseph put the brothers all through this turmoil to realize the dreams. Now, why is that so important? Because again, dreams by a tzaddik, by a righteous person, dreams by a prophet, are their prophecy. They're not just fantasies of a young man, but they're glimpses into the divine plan. And so Joseph, who was devoted to bringing God and his plan to the world, Joseph, who we see repeatedly invoking God's name wherever he went, in front of Pharaoh, who himself was worshipped as a god, he kept saying, It's not me. It's God who's the. That was Joseph. That's why he's at Sada, because Joseph, no matter where he was, always brought God into the picture. He felt responsible to work things out in such a way so God's plan could be realized. There's a great contemporary rabbi, Rav Wolby, in his famous work, Ali Shore, and he says there that Joseph looked at every detail in his life as being part of God's plan. He didn't just see Hashem behind the big miracles and even the small, but even the small details. And not just the good things, but even the not so good things. He saw everything as part as as part of God's plan. That his father favored him, and the brothers became jealous. That his brothers hated him so much so they threw him in a pit. That he was handsome, and the wife of Potiphar makes advances. That he gets thrown into jail. That he meets the butler and the wine steward in jail. There's a famine, and the brothers come down to Egypt. He understands that all these things, even though on the surface they just look like random circumstances of life, or the result of other people's rational free will choices. They were part of God's ultimate plan. They were part of the dream. Yosef taught us that everything that happens in our lives, we get a job, we lose a job. We fall in love, we break up. This person comes into my life, this person leaves my life. Something happens. These things happen, of course, because of our own free will decisions but also because God, we believe, is orchestrating things from above. Harbeish luchim Lamakom, says Rabbi Walby, God has many agents. We like to say God works in mysterious ways, not always miraculously. Sometimes he works through overt miracles, suspending the rules of nature, splitting of the Red Sea, but sometimes he works through quabbles in a family, or anything, a job, a situation in a relationship. And this is extremely important, that we see our lives, that we look at everything that happens to us in our lives in this way. Because if we can be part, if we can do our own part to help realize God's plan and to find Hashem when He's not so obvious. You know, it's easy to see God when He's splitting a sea. It's not so easy to see God when you get fired from your job. But if you can look at that as an opportunity, one door closes, it opens up another. And even if we don't see it, but we have the faith that if something is happening, it's an opportunity somehow for our growth. That's what Joseph did. That's why he orchestrated this whole plan with his brothers. And that's what we're supposed to learn from him. And if we can look at everything, that everything is from Hashem. We can develop ourselves in a way, not just coming to synagogue on Shabbat, not just from observing the commandments, but from the circumstances of life that we're given opportunities to reveal God in the physical world, and develop ourselves in the people we were meant to be, then we, everything that happens to our lives, our days will be filled with tremendous blessing and happiness, because then like Yosef, instead of just getting frustrated with life's ups and downs, and we cheer when something goes great, and we get sad when, God forbid, something goes wrong, we'll see everything as part of God's greater plan, a plan designed by our Creator to develop us ultimately into the people that we were meant to be. Thank you for listening.